Welcome to T-Bar Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Christine Akins, and I'm delighted to be your host. I've spent my career helping people prepare for retirement. My colleagues joining me today are financial professionals who help people on their retirement journey, whether they're planning for retirement or are already there. Today, we're talking about planning for retirement when you are single. Transitioning to retirement is a big life change that requires making a lot of financial and non-financial decisions. When you are solely responsible for your finances, the weight of these choices can feel very heavy and sometimes feel like a confidence killer. Joining me today with some suggestions for singles are certified financial planner professionals Jean Dunn and Emily Herstein. Welcome to the show, Jean and Emily. Thanks, Christine. It's so exciting to see you, and I'm really excited about this conversation today. Thanks for having us, and I'm excited to talk about being single in retirement. Terrific. A lot of information about retirement planning can come off as couples-focused, so we'd like to orient this discussion to a party of one. We see images of couples or families, and that's not what everyone's retirement looks like. With that in mind, let's start with what we mean by singles. Emily would love to hear your thoughts on that first. Sure. So being single, in my mind, there's a a group that's single by choice. These are men and women who maybe chose to put their career first, just didn't want to get married, and are going into retirement like they have their whole life. They've been single, and, and they made a choice to be that way, which is a very different and also empowering way to enter retirement. Jean, what do you think? Emily, you're right, but there's another group of individuals who have once had a partner and are now single. There are about 15 million widows and widowers in the United States. About 77% of them are women. We also know that half of the marriages in U.S. end in divorce. So both of these transitions can have substantial financial implications for your retirement. Thank you, Jane. So do you think that planning for retirement is harder for singles, Emily? I think for the first group that I mentioned, and really being single in general, financial planning and getting ready for retirement can actually be easier. You have total control of what you want your retirement to look like. You have total decision-making, and you're really in the driver's seat. And I think that that can lead to it being easier to retire single. You know, money is the number one source of conflict for relationships. So if you're in the driver's seat, I agree with you. It can be empowering. Great. Well, we know that there are a lot of financial and non-financial decisions of retirement that single folks should consider. What are some non-financial aspects? Jean, we'll start with you. You know, Christine, I believe every financial goal has two elements, The first element is deciding what you're saving for. And in this case, we're talking about retirement. And that second element is the strategy to achieve that goal. One thing I've observed, a lot of people focus almost exclusively on that second element. So many people talk to me about retirement. Some of the first things they ask me is, am I saving enough? Am I invested in the right way? And usually my answer is, I have no idea. Are you going to retire in France in a villa and start a winery? Or are you focused on living in a tiny house with a part-time job because you subscribe to that FIRE movement, you know, financial independence, retire early? You can't adequately develop an investment strategy to retire if you haven't spent some time sketching out in great detail what your retirement might look like. 
I'll give you a couple examples. Where you live can have a huge impact on how much you need to save. If you own a home, thinking about considerations for aging in place, is this a place that fosters connections and community? Because there's been several studies that show that friends and social support can result in a longer lifespan. So if you plan to move upon retirement, how are you going to foster new connections? Another question to ask yourself is how are you going to spend your time? If you want to spend a few years traveling the world, that's something that I think sounds pretty fun, really impacts how much you need to save. Conversely, if you know you're always going to have some type of employment and income, that's going to impact your retirement. Caregiving is a big consideration, especially for singles entering retirement. Will you be responsible for caring for others? And if you need care, who and how will you be cared for? The majority of caregivers for older adults are women, and they average 20 hours a week providing caregiving. That's pretty significant. So all these questions start to craft a better, more detailed picture of what your retirement's going to look like, and that's going to help you better develop a strategy for how to get there. You know, I couldn't agree more, Jean. And one thing with a single pre-retirees, they're not at home talking about how they want the retirement to look and daydreaming and painting that picture with a spouse or a partner. So sometimes they need to more intentionally think about what they want their retirement to look like as well as how they're going to get there. But I think painting that picture, like you said, that's the first step. And it can be really fun. <laughs> Especially that winery. That sounded great. No, I am still <laughs> stuck mentally on that villa in France. Jean, great, great insights. Thank you. So let's pivot a bit and talk more about some practical realities of retirement planning. There are some important documents that do come into play. What are some important ones? Jean, if I could turn to you first. You know, Christine, as a single person, documentation is key. And I realize documentation isn't necessarily the most exciting thing, but it's so important because it ensures that if you are ever unable to vocalize your wishes, your wishes will be known because they're documented. I'll give you a case in point. If you have a health emergency or incapacitated Documenting your healthcare information, your insurance provider and that information, having a healthcare directive, identifying who your healthcare power of attorney is in advance ensures that your wishes will be held. You know, we've done extensive research on wealth transfers, and the vast majority of individuals in our research stated they didn't want to cause their heirs, their family, pain. But at the same time, I've heard so many horror stories, and I know, Emily, you have too, when individuals didn't take the time to make their wishes known to their family. This, to me, is especially important for single people who may not have another person as an owner on their assets. So it's so important to make these plans. These plans help potentially minimize taxes, minimize probate costs, and minimize the pain you may cause your heirs, and most importantly, make sure your wishes are honored. I'll tell you one quick story. There was a gentleman who was the executor of his uncle's estate. His uncle was single, obviously. His uncle was someone that this gentleman described as a somewhat private person. 
He never told anyone anything about his assets and finances. And so when this gentleman started to work on the estate, it was a complete nightmare. There were accounts all over the place, money stashed in weird places in the house. It took him two years to sort out his uncle's estate. And then the worst part was, he said, I don't even know if I captured all of his assets. I don't think anyone wants their estate to be in that situation. So documenting all of your assets and a lot of important information is critically important. To me, you start with who you want to be the executor of your estate and make sure they know that they're going to be the executor of your estate and also that they know who can help with your investments and assets. Make a list of professionals and their contact information. Maybe it's your attorney, your financial professional, your accountant. And there's a whole list of things to document. A lot of financial services firms can provide that list for you. But I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, your list of insurance policies, your financial power of attorney, all of your accounts and beneficiaries, important documents like your will, if you have a trust, your trust, birth certificates, things like that. So organizing those documents and sharing them with someone, maybe it's that financial power of attorney. Now, I also know that sometimes people are reluctant to share all of that information. You don't necessarily have to provide them with the documentation, but make sure they know where to find these documents when they need to access them. And again, why is this so important? To ensure that your wishes are carried out. Another thing, Jean, is revisiting these documents. Oftentimes, the not single by choice, but the single because they went through a, a divorce or a separation, it's important to revisit these documents and your beneficiaries and your wishes after you've had a life change like that. A uh, quick story for me, I had a client and he had terminal cancer and he was trying to get all of his affairs in order, updated his will, but he didn't update the beneficiaries on his 401k or his life insurance. And he had just gotten divorced. And you know what? His ex-wife, who he had a contentious relationship with, got those assets because she was named the beneficiary. So make sure that you're revisiting with life changes. And just as you get closer to retirement or further in retirement, your desires may change. Your wishes may change. And you want to make sure that your wishes, as you said, are being carried out the way that you want. And so it's important to revisit all that on an ongoing basis. And financial professional, friend, family, somebody should know what what you want to happen if something happens to you. Yes, Emily. A couple points come to mind as I listen to you. So number one is the fact that beneficiaries supersede wills. A lot of people don't understand that. So it's so important to update your beneficiaries. And the second thing I think is something to think about is the fact that your client was dealing with a terminal illness. That's not the time that you want to be dealing with all of these things. So, so doing them in advance is so important. And when I think about today's digital environment, where oftentimes we have paperless statements, having that documentation becomes even more important so that people can see the full picture, right, and, and that accounts aren't overlooked. Well, it sounds like some critical steps as we think about retirement planning more broadly. While we're talking about documents and paperwork, that's a good segue into accounts and statements. Emily, what do we need to know about titling accounts and beneficiaries? Yeah, Christine, to echo what Jean just said, 
I think what a lot of people don't realize is the titling of an account and some named beneficiaries supersede a will. So one thing to prepare is to make sure that you have the proper beneficiaries on your accounts. Additionally, if you're single, a lot of times you have accounts just in your name. And you need to make sure that somebody knows what they are, where they are, and that somebody has access to them, be it a power of attorney, making sure there's a beneficiary in place, or putting a joint owner on the account if that's going to help you in terms of access, and to make sure that if something happens to you and you need access to those accounts, that someone in your life, friend, family, child, knows how they can help you with those. Well, let's pivot to some of the financial planning parts of retirement. Again, there are a lot of numbers out there about how much you need saved, how much things cost, and it may not be clear whether those totals are for one or two people. So let's start with how much should someone aim to save? Jean would love your thoughts on that question. Christine, we think about how much you should save at the household level, not at the individual level. Everyone's situation is different, but as a starting point, we suggest saving at least 15% of your income every year. If you're a high earner, you may need to save more. I do want to acknowledge that the cost of living when you're single and living alone is around 40 to 50% higher simply because housing costs aren't split by two people. Now, if you've already entered the workforce, you've been saving for a while, and aren't quite sure if you've saved 15% every year, you can generally see if you're on track by looking at how much you've saved relative to your salary. For example, if you're age 35, we suggest that you have already saved one times your salary for retirement. If your salary is $50,000, you've saved at least $50,000 for retirement. At 45, three times your salary, and by 55, seven times your salary. And this assumes you're using both Social Security and savings to fund your retirement. These are all just guidelines, and everyone's situation is unique. As we talk to clients about savings, we often talk about ensuring that there is a portion of that savings that's set aside for emergencies. Should single people set aside more for those emergencies? Emily would love your thoughts on that. When you're single, you do have to think about if you have a situation where you can't work when you're pre-retirement for whatever reason. Somebody who has a partner has the advantage of having that partner's income come in, whereas a single person, you don't necessarily have that option. So I often guide my clients to save more just because of that situation. But again, everyone's different. I think it depends on what your living situation is, how much you've saved already, how far you are away from retirement. Do you have kids that you're putting through college as well? A lot of these are the same whether you're single or in a relationship or have a partner. You just need to think about what is that worst case scenario? How much do I need in case I have something that stands in the way of me getting my paycheck? Emily, you mentioned kids. How do you save for retirement if you have children? You know, this is something I grapple with every day. As a single by choice parent, I think every day, how am I going to get to retirement and also send my daughter to college? I don't have the magic answer to that. But what I can tell you is a lot of times you have to think about priorities. It's a priority for me to send my daughter wherever she wants to go and to save for college. 
But I also have to be a little selfish, and I can't sacrifice my own retirement. One thing that I think about is I can get loans. She can get grants, maybe scholarships for college. Last time I checked, nobody gives you a loan for retirement. It's really hard to go to the bank and say, hey, I'm going to stop working soon. Can you lend me some money? Where there's a lot of programs to fund education. But with that balancing act, you know, I make sure that I'm putting some away for my retirement and some away for my daughter's education. It's just a matter of painting that picture again. What do you want your retirement to look like? And also, what do you want your child's education to look like? People have strong opinions on whether their kid's going to pay for their own education, if they want to pay for it all. Do they want them to go to community college first? So it's a lot of decisions that as a single person, you get to be in the driver's seat for that. But you do need to think about what your intentions are. Emily, I completely agree with you. Oftentimes people ask me questions about their finances like there's a right answer. And you've laid out beautifully there isn't necessarily one right answer. It's what's right for you specifically. Emily, you've laid out a few big decisions that are on everybody's minds. Another one is claiming Social Security. What should people know before starting to collect benefits? Jean would love to hear from you first. I want to start by acknowledging that we are beginning to enter a generational shift in those who are considering and entering retirement. The youngest boomers were born in 1964, which means they're 58 in 2022. So in the next decade or so, we're going to start to see a shift from boomers retiring to Gen Xers, I'm so excited because I'm a Gen Xer, starting to retire. And the reason I bring this up is that there was a study done recently on different generational attitudes toward receiving Social Security benefits, and 52% of individuals aged 30 to 49 believe they will receive no that means zero, no Social Security benefits, which is a big shift from the attitudes of folks or over 50. Only 28% of individuals over 50 believe they will receive no benefits. All of this to say it's a personal decision as to how much you plan to rely on Social Security benefits as part of your retirement plan. Just as it's a personal decision as to when you decide to take your benefits. It's important to acknowledge that your benefits can be impacted by several factors, so I always recommend consulting a financial professional before making these decisions. Assuming you've never been married, you really only need to consider your personal earnings and your age. You can take your benefits as early as 62, but your benefits will be reduced. If you wait until full retirement age, which is age 67 for anyone born after 1960, you'll receive 100% of your benefits. You can also delay taking your benefits up to age 70, and your benefits will increase. Roughly speaking, your benefits increase between 7 to 8% every year you delay from age 62 to 70. You know, the benefits of Social Security, if you're confident that you're going to receive it, is that it's a guaranteed income stream with annual cost of living adjustments, which can be really helpful in times where we see inflation rising. You know, I think, Jean, to your point about 
it's uh, your personal choice when you take it. I think when you're married, you do have to think about claiming strategies with a spouse. Even if you're divorced or, or widowed, there's a couple different strategies you may want to consider. Whereas if you're in that first category of single that I talked about at the beginning, the choice is really solely yours, and, and it's just about your benefit. And some things to think about is longevity. If you think that you're going to live a while, it might make sense for you to delay Social Security. Or you might be like some of my clients in the past who've said, I just want to take it while I can. This is my money that I'm going to spend on whatever I want, and so I'm going to claim it as early as possible. And it's a common theme I'm hearing when we're talking is it's really so dependent upon your situation and what your goals are. Jean, you had mentioned earlier in the conversation that marital statuses can change, and they do for many Americans. So if you were previously married and are divorced or widowed, can you collect Social Security on a former spouse's earning record? The short answer is yes. You can collect benefits in both situations. If you're widowed, the earliest you could start receiving Social Security survivor benefits is age 60. But again, if you've been married, like Emily talked about, the decision as to when to take benefits is more complicated than a single person because you need to look at earnings of both spouses. So working with a financial professional can really help you assess your specific situation. Now, if you're divorced and were married for at least 10 years, you may be able to collect benefits based on your ex-spouse's earnings. In order for you to collect these benefits, your ex-spouse must be eligible to collect benefits themselves, and their benefits must be higher than yours. This has been a great conversation. Let's summarize a few key takeaways for our listeners. Emily, what would you highlight? Number one, you need to take inventory. Think about what you have, where you want to be, what you want to do with those financial and non-financial decisions. And the other thing is to meet with a financial professional and talk about how you're in this unique situation, being single, heading into retirement or in retirement, and how that is really to your advantage. Jean, what would you add to that? So, Christine, when I think specifically about individuals that have been divorced or are widowed, even if you're single right now, you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to make these decisions alone. Both divorce and the death of a spouse are huge life changes. And these huge life changes open the potential for large financial consequences that can impact your retirement. If you're overwhelmed, you're not quite sure what to do, lean on a team of professionals. Maybe it's a financial professional, your tax professional, your estate planning attorney. They can help you develop a strategy aligned with your new situation. Well, it's hard to believe, but it's time for us to start wrapping up this discussion. We want to leave our listeners with a parting thought or a next step. Emily, let's start with you. Thanks, Christine. One final thought that I have is embrace being single. Being single, you have a choice to do whatever you want to do. Your retirement can be whatever you want it to be, and that's a good thing. The other thing is you can sleep better at night because you'll be able to make those financial decisions and you don't have somebody snoring next to you. That's great. <laughs> Jean, do you have any additional thoughts? Spend some time thinking about 
what your retirement will look like for you. As a single person, you have the gift of flexibility. You get to decide exactly how you want your retirement to look like without compromising with someone else. The more you detail what your retirement will look like, the more precise your plan will be to get there. Thank you both so much for joining me today. This has been a terrific conversation. Happy to be here. It was a pleasure, Christine. I really enjoyed talking about it. Again, I'm Christine Agins, and thank you for listening. Please tune in for our next episode, which focuses on retirement considerations for couples. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I hope your next step towards retirement is a confident one. T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you, nor is it intended to serve as a primary basis for investment decision-making. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. Copyright 2022, T. Rowe Price, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price, invest with confidence, retire with confidence, the Bighorn Sheep design, and confident conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated, Distributor, T. Rowe Price, T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated, Investment Advisor.